And so I had created the soundtrack for my trip, which was basically 60s music. You know, we got come together, right? There's something happening here. All we need is love. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to sort of come into a town and whether I was sitting on a street corner, in a boardroom, in a hospital, in a prison cell, in a school, I wanted to just walk in and say to people, what would you like to say to the world if you knew they were listening and record the podcast on the road? But then COVID came and I couldn't do that. So I had to do it sitting in my chair here. everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. But today we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train, though I'm sure he will come up because he always does. Um, and I'm talking to one of my new friends. I am talking to uh, Daniel. He is a podcaster. He is a writer. And he is on a quest to um, bring a little togetherness in this world. Uh, Danny, welcome to the show. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for having me. And as you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, I'm a Beatles fan. So if, we, yes. if, if my message tonight can be, come together right now over me, bum bum, all right? All we need is love, right? All we need is love, that's right. Those are, the, those are the days, and as I was thinking, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off a little bit, but yeah. I, was, I love the music of the 60s and the 70s. So Yeah, so to give it, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to kind of give your, uh, your elevator pitch, but um, one of the things I'm involved in, in uh, there is several Facebook groups for podcasters. And one of them is uh, basically find a guest, be a guest. And there is nothing but people posting like I have a podcast all about, you know, women businessmen. So I'm looking for women who have started their own business to be in the podcast, or I have a business that discusses sports. So if you have that, and so I am a member of that and um, I tend to go, um, I say, Hey, I do a music podcast. It's, uh, so if you're passionate about music, either Bruce Springsteen or any music, I'd love to have you on the show. And then I will volunteer to be in shows. And, uh, you know, um, Dan is head posted and said, I I'm doing a podcast where I just want to talk to strangers and I'm probably saying this incorrectly. Um, but it was a very open, like, I just want to talk. And I'm like, okay, I'll talk. And so uh, I guess two, three weeks ago, we, I was on your podcast. It just recently got released as we're recording this. It got released today. And this will come out in three or four weeks because I'm like you. I record in advance. And you and I spent over an hour just talking, and it was yeah. so much fun. Yeah, yeah. 
What I, what I found is that in the world that we live in right now, there are a lot of people talking. There are not that many people listening. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to hold the space for people to be able to come on the show and know that they would be listened to and heard. They would be loved and accepted and they would be acknowledged and validated for what it is they believed. I may or may not believe what they believe, but that doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is that the space is held open for someone to be able to say, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it. And I've had every, for everybody from Ku Klux Klan people on there to Black Lives Matters, to staunch conservatives, to bleeding heart liberals. And what's really happened, happened Jesse, is, and what's really interesting to me is that when people feel that someone's really listening to them, all of the shouting stops. Like if you can speak to me and I can listen to you, then you don't need to scream it to me. And if you scream it to me, I can say, hey, hold on. That's just what you said. I actually heard you. Like, I want you to know I heard you. I, I heard what you said. And if there's something I didn't hear, tell me. Like, I'm, I'm wide open to hear what it is you want to say. And, and I somehow believe that if we could learn how to listen again to one another, and I want to create a revolution of listening, that if we could learn how to listen to one another, a lot of the things that we experience in the world today won't be necessary. Because I think people are just screaming to be heard because nobody's listening to them. People are tantruming to be heard because nobody's listening to them. People are attacking to be heard because nobody's listening to them. And it's easy to listen to people if we just want to. And, and we've, we talked a little bit about this in the podcast, right? That too many of us find ourselves not listening, but waiting for my turn to talk. Yes. I am, I am politely because I have been, I have been taught by my parents and my social behavior that, okay, I need to be quiet while this other person is speaking. So I don't interrupt them. I don't rude. And I, and I'm, but I'm not really hearing. I'm just listen, waiting for my turn to talk. And I thought you and I had a lovely conversation. Um, and we, I, I felt like um, we connected and, and as we were talking, um, you know, I brought up the fact of what I did and you did mention, you know, I love Beatles music. I love 60s music. And I said, well, why don't I return the favor? Why don't you join on my podcast and we'll talk a little music. And you were kind enough to say, absolutely. Uh, I was, I was looking for, I've been looking forward to it because music has been a huge part of my life. I think anybody, if you, the beautiful thing about music is you can hear a few notes of a song. And it immediately takes you back to a moment that you remember about something. And for me, so I wrote this book called The Mosaic, which you hinted at. And it's the story of a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asked the adults where his parents are, they told him they were in a place called heaven. So he set out in search of that place called heaven. But the people he met along the way were not the holy men and the rabbis and the ministers and the priests and the medicine women and the Aborigines elders, they were common, ordinary people. And he wondered, why am I meeting these people? What are they going to teach me about heaven? But Jesse, in every single time when he sat with them and listened to what they were saying, he saw them completely differently than he had seen them when he first came up. 
And so when I finished writing the mosaic, the mosaic really spoke to me and said, I want you to go out on the road and do that. And so I had created the soundtrack for my trip, which was basically 60s music. You know, we got come together, right? There's something sure. happening here. All we need is love. And I wanted, to, I wanted to, to sort of come into a town. And whether I was sitting on a street corner, in a boardroom, in a hospital, in a prison cell, in a school, I wanted to just walk in and say to people, what would you like to say to the world if you knew they were listening and record the podcast on the road? But then COVID came and I couldn't do that. So I had to do it sitting in my chair here. So I want to go back. Like I usually start at the beginning, Danny. And so talk to me about, well, first off, I, I want to give you a chance to um, give your elevator pitch. Ex tell people um, who you are, where you're from and, uh, and do that. And then I'm going to get to your origin story. Okay, so I have, I have lived a thousand different lifetimes this lifetime. I was born in Philadelphia. My parents passed away two years apart on the same day. My dad when I was 13, my mom when I was 15. Mm. And it left me questioning what is the purpose of life here. How, and it made me realize that the life that I think will always go on may not always go on. And so it gave me a certain desire to live life in this moment. And if something was really good to stay with it, and if something wasn't really good, get the heck out of it. And um, over the course of my life, I've been offered things that people would think nobody in their right mind would not do the things he's been offered. But the problem was it wasn't mine to do. It was somebody else's to do. And so I walked away from an opportunity to run a billion dollar company, billion with a B. Mm -hmm. I walked away from uh, a company that I grew from $3 million to $100 million. I walked away from being one of the, one of the leading voices in working with the man who started organizational psychology. Um, and he wanted me to become his protege and hand it over to me after we had created it together. But I had hair down to the middle of my waist. And I said, there's not much organizational about me. I, I'm, I don't see myself doing that. But again, like we're young and foolish and think we know everything. I've spent a lot of my years working with corporations and organizations and, and doing organizational psychology or yes. some derivation of that, right? And so, but the beauty has been that I've had the opportunity to be with some of the richest people in the world and some of the poorest people in the world. And what I've seen in every single one of them is they all want the same thing doesn't matter how much money they have, what color their skin, what religion they practice, what they eat for dinner, how big their house or, or, or how torn up their cardboard box. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard, and acknowledged and validated. And I realized I could do that. That wasn't hard to do. And so I set my life around doing that for people. And since I did that, my life has really changed. It's been really, really beautiful. The conversations that I now have with people are agendaless conversations. I'm not trying to convince them or sell them or make them believe something. I just want to be with them and listen to them. Hear what they say, hear what they feel, what scares them, what excites them, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. And 
your what the name of your podcast and YouTube? Like you do this, you're not only podcast, but you have a YouTube channel. What yeah. is it called? So the the conversations that I had with, with strangers are called conversations with strangers. Um, my YouTube channel is Daniel is Daniel Levin. It's YouTube channel there, and I also have a Mosaic podcast, which is which is distributed through the podcast channels, mm. and goes everywhere the podcast goes. The conversations go out through social media because they're just conversations. My wife is actually turning them into podcasts now because they've been so powerful for people that people want and she wants to get them out to more places very nice well good so i'll repeat that toward the end so people can find it but um i always like to start at the beginning and you've already shared a little bit of your youth i'm i'm sure losing your parents was very traumatic and and life-changing but before that um what kind of music did you grow up listening to was it 60s music no. for both your parents musical um my dad was a singer. Okay. I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a professional singer, but right. if you would look at my mom's response to my dad singing, you would have think he, you would have thought he was Frank Sinatra. So my fondest memories of are of my dad coming home and my mom having ready for him a bloody Mary and him putting on the radio in those days because television was just getting started. And listening to Nat King Cole and Bobby Darren and Mac the Knife and, uh, you know, and, and um, Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Yeah. And, and he would sing those songs and my mom would swoon over him as if he was like some, you know, huge, well-known celebrity singer. And that was how we grew up. We grew up with that music. And my dad loved just sitting with a, you know, a handheld microphone, which was not a microphone, but something. And, yes. just, and just singing like Mac the Knife or, or a Nat King Cole song. Or, or a, and that, that music was so rich. Yes. And, and so alive and so, and so soulful. And so neat. And, and when we started listening to our music, which was the 60s music, my dad looked at me like, what, what do you like? What? What happened? You know? Yeah. And I said, Come on, dad. This is so good. There's so much love in this music. You can feel it. And he said, I feel a lot of rebellion in it. And I said, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, wait till you have kids. Yes. And, and lo and behold, the music that the kids listen to and, and listen music that I listen to completely different, you know, but it, it was huge, huge change. When uh, the uh, magician uh, Pin Gillette in a podcast talked about that, you know, he believes he he is disappointed when he was glad that his children did not like his music. Like, you know, yeah. he said, you have kids who like, you know, that will like classic rock and he goes no that the purpose of the purpose of rock for youth is to be rebellion you are not supposed to like your parents music till you reach another stage you know yeah. as a teenager that is part of growing up to have that rebellion and um and i always thought that was an interesting thought um i grew up in a house that um and it's a joke, but it, there was a lot of truth to it. The old bru the blues brother line where, you know, we listen to both kinds of music, country and Western. Uh, and, uh, you know, Johnny Cash and my mom loved Bobby Darren as well. She, and, yeah. 
and Dean Martin and uh, a lot of Fats Domino and yeah. Hank Williams and, and, and all this Merle Haggard in my house. And so I grew up with this love of country music and I, people are always surprised, but I remember when I was eight or nine visiting my cousins who lived in Ohio and they were shocked I could not name all four Beatles. Wow. But in my house, and this was probably about 60, I was born in 59, so at least 67, 68 maybe. And um, we didn't listen to the Beatles, you know. Yeah, the, only, the only station we had was the AM country station. And yeah. so I just had not, you know, got that. And um, so there was – there never was a rebellion. It was just, I kind of, when I got to be a teenager, had my own AM clock radio. Um, I'm sure you remember that days where that was, that was how you had music, right? Not a nice stereo and where you found the AM rock station, you know, and I started listening to that more and more. Yeah. I still remember the call letters, W I B G, you know, in Philadelphia. So, um, but like for me, what happened is, as sad as my story is that I lost my parents early, I also lost my parents. I was, an, I was a really innocent kid. I was really protected and really, I remember when we grew up in a little Jewish neighborhood in Philadelphia. Okay. And my neighborhood was like four blocks. You know, that was, that was what I believed the world was. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing John Kennedy in 1960. I was five years old. He came, dry, he came in a convertible driving down the main street off the side of where we were, and we lined the streets. And the big talk in those days was John Kennedy was the first Catholic running for president. And I remember coming home and saying to my mom, oh, my God, so does that mean all the other presidents were Jewish? Because you know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even understand that there was anything else but yes. Jewish, you know, right? And so that's how innocently we grew up. And so I didn't get to experience the rebelliousness of the music of the, of my teens because my parents had already passed. Right. And, and so I still have such beautiful fond memories of Barbara Streisand singing people, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. You know, and, and, and hearing, and hearing that music that was just, and it was wholesome. Yes. It, it was good. I mean, we just had, we had an, an, my mom and dad's anniversary was just October 27th and they've both been gone a lot of years. And I remember playing Mac the Knife because that was one of my, one of the songs my dad loved. And you know, it's about a gangster who comes. It's a, yes, absolutely. It, it, it's not like a romantic song. It is not. It's somehow the song has a has a has a suave to it that makes it almost romantic. Yes, I, I mean D- Darren took it and made it into a standard. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and you know, when and when they i i love hearing that song right and um when he you know when the shark bites right and it just immediately first off i think of the steve martin right in the 70s when he would he would do that but also just playing with that big band 
you yeah. know, that huge orchestra, yeah. like, like uh, Johnny Carson had with Doc, Doc Severin, you know, and when the, and you'd always get the, the pop singers talking about that they got to play with the band. I remember John Denver being ecstatic that he get to, he got to perform with the band, yeah. and that full orchestra and that excitement. Um, and it's, it's interesting, Dan, as I talk to people that uh, grow up in Jersey or Philly or New York, um, almost all of them, if they are a certain age, will talk about their parents loving big band music. Oh God! And loving yeah. Sinatra and oh God! And that, yeah, that you know, was... just just how huge he was and how much your parents love that. And if they're younger, if the, if they are younger, their parents grew up with classic rock, you know, and yeah. they they listen to that and they're doing that. Um, that that's amazing. But specifically, when we've talked about you talk about me. Can you remember when you first discovered the Beatles God, yeah. and why did their music speak to you? Oh God. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was Ed Sullivan show. Okay. I mean, Ed Sullivan brought them over and he, and I, I remember watching the Ed Sullivan show and it was just this entertainment. I mean, people have no idea what the Ed say. It was like this popular Sunday night show. Yeah. And he had, he had just had, it was like a talent show almost. Yes. D- diverse. He would have Broadway Everybody. shows, orchestra, comedians, Gigio, the, little, yes. the little mouse, you know, the speaking mouse. And, and he said, we've developed, we've discovered this, this group from England and we're bringing over the Beatles. And, and the place went crazy. There were women screaming. And my mom, my mom, to show you how much she loved us, the Beatles, after doing Ed Sullivan, came to Philadelphia. Okay. And she bought my brother. She came, she went with me and my brother to see the Beatles. Oh, how in fun! One of the first concerts they did in in the United States. And I remember, I couldn't hear a word that they were saying because the women, the girls, were just screaming. You know, I said, "Mom, how come they're screaming?" She said, "Oh, they're just in love with them, Danny. They just, you know." I said, "But I can't hear anything." She said, "Oh, you know, just put up with it. You're going to have to deal with it. You know, this is what's going on." Um, and then, so I think the uh, they were for my generation what Elvis was for the people that were a few years older than me. Yes. They, the way they moved, the way they they had short hair. They had hair and probably not much longer than mine. But in those days, that was long hair. It was a, yes. this mop top, right? And they just looked right. different and they spoke different. And, they, and the way they sang, the music touched, it just touched something in us. It was, it was the combination of Lennon and McCartney just writing music together. And then, and then George doing his Eastern sort of stuff and Ringo being a, as weird as you could possibly be with, you know, writing crazy songs, but together they, they just had a magic. So what, what's interesting. And as I promised, we'll put a Bruce twist on it. Um, I don't know if you've read his autobiography, but um, it is, it is a wonderful book. He shares a lot of himself and he, he shares a lot of his, um, struggles he's had with depression and other things. But one of the things he talks about is um, there was Christmas, there was your birthday, 
there was summer vacation and then everything else was you woke up, you went to school, you came home, you went to sleep, woke up, go to school. And he said, when Elvis was on Ed Sullivan for the first time, yeah. um, the world changed. The world changed. The world changed to him. Yeah. And then he talked about later when the Beatles were on South of Sullivan, it changed again. Yeah. And he said he was in awe of, I'm going to say this wrong and my audience is going to go, but basically I, I, he, he was in awe of Elvis, but he wanted to be the Beatles. Yeah. Like he, he had reached old enough that when he saw the Beatles, that's what I want to do. That's yeah. what I want to make music. And um, there is a story he recently told. Uh, there was um, there, the Grammys was going to do a tribute to Paul McCartney. And they, the people reached out and reached to Bruce's manager and said, would Bruce be willing to be part of this tribute, right? Wow. And Bruce goes, um, he's still a Beatle, isn't he? <laughs> they're like, yeah. Okay. If he's a Beatle. He asked, I'm going, <laughs> you know, like, I would just kind of as a sarcastic, right? Like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's like royalty. You don't, you, yeah. don't. <laughs> you don't say no. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, and there is a, a wonderful podcast that, um, the history of rock and roll in 500 songs that a guy does and he has just reached the early sixties and um, you know, he is talking about that, but I've the, there are people nowadays who are modern, um, modern music fans that at times will go, well, I don't get it. Like the Beatles. I, I don't understand. Like, okay, I guess they were okay. And I think it's the same thing when you watch a a John Ford movie, you know, a classic John Ford movie that you go, oh, well, there's nothing unique in that. You understand, he did it first. You yeah. know, the Beatles yeah. never had done this before. Yeah. And, um, and what you now say is, well, this isn't that original but at the time it was, and there is just something about the beauty. Of yeah, the reason why, I think the reason why we say it's not that original now is also a testament to who the Beatles are, because this is 60 years later. Yes. And we're still listening to the songs, and the, and the music is still relevant to some degree to what we're doing. You, nobody can listen to Imagine right now by John Lennon and say it's not relevant in this moment as much as it was 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. And, and so there isn't music that most music isn't relevant that long after. And yeah. the, Beatles, the beauty to me about the Beatles is they didn't even know how to read music. Right. They didn't have any idea what they were doing. There were just these four kids out of Liverpool who started picking up, picking up instruments and started playing. And, and there was a magic about them from the beginning because people just went crazy around them. And it isn't, it, it, 
in this world we live in, it's not the greatest things that are the most successful. There's just something that happens. Certain things are, are, are almost like they're blessed that they're, they're going to work. Springsteen is blessed that he was going to work. He's just right. like a, he's like a New Jersey guy, you know, just yes. a normal, regular guy. But he touched a chord in people and he touched, he touched the soul of a, of a nation with the music that he played and his stories, his stories go deeper than they go to the emotion of a person rather than just the story that's told. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Danny. And like when um, a couple of weeks ago, um, help was on Turner classic. Yeah. And I was like, gosh, I haven't seen this in years. And I turned it on. And first off, I was amazed at, um, it's a fun movie, you know, crazy. It's crazy. crazy movie. Right. And, and the amount of charm and humor they did. And then just the songs they played. Yeah. You're like, Oh my goodness. There, that is one amazing yeah. tune after another. Yeah. And they that, had so many of them. Yes. They wrote a lot of music and, the, and, and then they stopped performing. I mean, they only performed for a very short period of time. Yes. Which, which made their allure even, even stronger. Yes. And, and there were a lot of groups then that came along with them. I mean, you have the Dave Clark Five and you had the Rolling Stones who were the American version of them. And, and some of them, and you had Jerry and the Pacemakers and, you know, yes. you had... You had a bunch of people that came over from the UK also. But you only had the, the Beatles were the Beatles. Yeah. And there were some people that were popular for a few years, but the Beatles lived on for a long time. Yeah. And I think that there are. And the Stones. I mean, look at the Stones. They're crazy. Yeah. yeah the, the amazing. Um, and, you know, the when you think about how short of a time and how much music they sent out the Beatles and, yeah. and the standards they set and the way they um, influenced everyone um, to this day. Um, and there is something just beautiful about throwing in a classic uh, Beatles collection or just one of their, you know, albums, whether it's, you know, you throw in a CD or you do a turntable and losing yourself in that music yeah. um, is just something really beautiful. They also went through the experience of the generation that they were experiencing. You know, they went yes. through the drug era and they went through the Eastern religion era and they went, yes. you know, and, and, and they went through, you know, making John making a statement were more popular than Jesus and, and, the, and the Christians breaking all their records, you know, and, the, yes. and they, they didn't, it was not an easy road for them. It, it wasn't. And you, and then when you have, when you throw in, I, I am old enough to remember, and I'm sure are too, that, you know, you find out that Monday night that John Lennon had been shot. Oh, and God. that you're just you're in shock. You're like, wait a minute how 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 can how can he be shot? How can you lose someone um, of of that magnitude that young? Yeah, yeah. And you you just think about what might have been possible had he continued to live on. Yes. And the and then 
but then you think of what a rebel he was. He were, he was married to a nice British girl, and then he left her yeah. and went with Yoko Ono, this weirdo from, you know, that, but somehow there was magic there. And I, I, when I listen back to some documentaries of the Beatles creating music, I would be hard pressed to find anybody who said they didn't take a lot of risks in the music they did. And by going into the studio more, more and not playing on in concerts, they were able to create sounds that most people who were going on concerts who had to reproduce those sounds in concert weren't able to do. And so they tested with more things. They used more instruments. They used, they used uh, different sounds, different uh, frequencies and different um, speeds of recording to give them a certain sound. Um, and they hit, they just continued to hit the pulse of a nation of people who were growing up at that time that were a little bit rebellious. But remember, the Rolling Stones were the bad boys. Absolutely. They were, they were, and the Beatles were like the good guys. Absolutely. Right. But the, and, but I, I bet they didn't want to be the good guys because they tried to be the bad guys sometimes, but the Rolling Stones were such, had that market so cover, covered, you know? So, so they were always the good guys trying their best yeah. to be the good guys. And the Rolling Stones were the, and, and it was a stark difference when you listen to the music, it was different. Yeah, the Stones were the were the group you went and put on into dance clubs, and you know it was, and and you were and you pounded out. The Beatles were who you smoked a joint with. Absolutely, right? You That's, just mellowed yes. out, and, and you just took it easy, and you go, "Whoa, what's happening here?" Is there? You you talked about loving. Are there other bands from the '60s that specifically you mentioned the Rolling Stones, you mentioned the Beatles, uh, Motown, or other instruments, other music that has been a lot to you growing up? I like Motown, but I you know I was I was like a big Moody Blues fan. Okay. I, somehow by the time I got to 15 and my my mom and dad had passed away, I was looking for meaning in life, and I was looking for the music that I listened to have to have some sort of mystical quality okay so um but i mean there was mysticism in Jimi hendrix yes there was mysticism in janice joplin i mean my mom i don't know how and why she did it but she took us to a concert with Jimi hendrix janice joplin pink floyd and the doors your I mean, mom was, your mom was a pretty badass. She was, she was like crazy to do that with us. And, yes. and my brother and I were just like, and, and, and Vanilla Fudge was there also. And I was like, whoa, what the heck is going on here? Like, and, and then I remember, um, God, I remember sitting in the audience. I can't, I'm trying to think of the group now. I can't even, I just drew a, a blank on the group. It'll come to me. Okay. But I remember just sitting in the group and I was with my brother and my brother was four years older than me and I hadn't ever done drugs. And my brother said, if you're going to ever do drugs, do them with me. And, and joints were just passing through the audience, you know? Yes. And so I, I, it came, I was sitting in the seat before my brother. So it came to me first and I just looked at him and he went, just do (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I was like 14 years old, you know, and, and I was, I, 
but but I was part of this culture that felt like we were going to actually make a change in the world. We yes. were actually going to do something where people where these concepts of love and and like a lot of the things that we're going through right now, we thought we had solved then. Yeah, we didn't solve them. Yeah. Like, here they are again, you know. Um, and Buffalo Springfield and the Loving Spoonful and the you know there was just the sounds of the '60s. To me, when I hear that, when I was going to go on the trip around the, uh, around the world in this in my little van, right? I wanted to blast that music because it just feels like it's that moment. It's like feels like it's the '60s coming back again. Yeah. So one of my before I was obsessed with Bruce, um, I discovered the Beach Boys when I was oh, 1977. I, I um, in I my picked, room. Exactly, I picked up a. Uh, Beach Boys Endless Summer 8-track and fell in love with Brian Wilson and his music. And, um, and I think genius, that... Brian Wilson, Wilson. Yes. Yeah. And talk about painting imagery and, and stories in, in, with different sounds and layers. And, you know, uh, the Beatles, you know, Paul McCartney has said that when they heard you know, pet sounds, they like, oh, how will we beat this? And they did Sergeant Peppers, you know, and, and just this beautiful, um, you know, God only knows McCartney has said is the most beautiful song he's ever heard. And um, so there is that soundtrack of the world changing. And as we're kind of you and I have talked about in our previous conversation, there, there is a lot of hate and anger out there. And, um, and we, I, I agree with you that if we can get people to listen, really listen, that's our first step to trying to make it a better world. Um, as we go through, is there, is there music that you are currently listening to that do bring, that is bringing you comfort, that does help you to remain uh, positive about what's going on? I'm, I'm in flashback to the sixties right now. Okay. To be honest, I, I like I'm married to a woman who's 21 years younger than I am. Okay. So she experienced the 70s. She experienced the 80s and 90s. Right. Right. But when I was in the 80s and 90s, I was already in a monastery in the you know in 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 either is Israel or or in the foothills of the Sierra. So I didn't. So that music, like, I have no relationship. To okay. It. And and our kids are listening to all this, you know, hip hop sort of bebop, you know, right. uh, and and all these sounds that I just like, uh, like it, it feels ghetto esque to me, you know. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. It's not. It doesn't feel. And they're sure they're people that I like, you know. But yeah, when I f like, I feel like what my dad said to me: "Wait till you have kids." Yes. Um the wholesomeness of the music he listened to and the shock of the of the noise that he felt we were listening to is honestly exactly what I feel now. And isn't that hilarious that, um, and, and it, in a lot of ways, as, as Penn talked about, it's the way it should be. It's absolutely but, the way it should be. Yeah. You know, that it is hilarious that you're, you know, what he was saying was, oh, I just hear noise and it, it's comforting to you hearing the Beatles, you know, I, I want to, everything from I want to hold your hand to, yeah. you know, a, a day in life, right? I mean, you can go from one extreme to the other. 
and um, versus, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, um, you know, uh, Jay-Z or, you know, hip hop or, you know, whatever, like, uh, I'm going to show my age, right? Like Eminem, which is way right. older than them. Um, yeah. But it is, um, there is that um, each generation finds their own voice on how to, they can express themselves. Yeah. And, and I think it's even more than that. I think that one of the beautiful things about music is music has the opportunity to bring people of, of different belief systems together. Right. Because it's the music of that age. And I think there's something for people in the time when music comes in a decade of time, that decade of time, it's their music. Yes. And, and, and it sums up the story of that decade. So it's not just like all of a sudden people are liking, you know, hip hop and all of a sudden people aren't liking Motown as much. And all of a sudden people like the Beatles or don't like the Beatles. Yeah. For music to live past dec decadental, I don't even know if that's a word, but I like it. I like for, that word for, too. For, for, for people like Springsteen did it. He, his music exists through decades of time. Absolutely. Because, because he captures something in the soul of people. But most yes. musicians capture something in the soul of the moment of that time. Yes. And people that are growing up in the moment of that time obviously relate to that moment of time. So, of course, they love that music. You know, Danny, you mentioned that just a few bars of music can bring you back. Um, music is a time machine. Because yeah. there is, when you hear that song, you remember being a child or being a teenager or that moment that you fell in love or your heart was broken. And so I, I think that is universal, no matter what you're, you're listening and loving. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. When I want to move just for a little bit back to your, your, mission, your podcast, your, your thoughts. Um, you, you talked a little bit about this, that you, after you've written the book and, and you explored a lot, you talked to me a little bit, you just felt this calling that you felt like you needed to try to build bridges. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it wasn't even like, I love the kind, you're like such a kind person. And I saw that in the conversation that we have together. And I was just touched by your kindness and I'm touched by your kindness again. Um, I don't know that I felt the need to do anything. Okay. What happened is I felt a calling from the project Here's the weird thing, and this is going to be maybe weird, but I bet music does the same thing. If a book can do it to me, I bet yeah. music does it to people who write music. When, when we create something, any creation, whether it be a book, a song, an album, a movie, we actually breathe life into something that didn't have life before. Absolutely. And, and the songs themselves now have life independent of the artists that wrote them. Yes. And they transfer a message to other people who hear them in the way they hear them or read a book in the way they read the book. And so when I wrote the book, it took me a long time to write the book because I was writing, 
these were my, I made up these characters based on people that I had met over the course of my life, traveling around the world, hitchhiking, doing all sorts of things, meeting people in different parts of businesses that I did. And I wrote what I wanted them to say in dialogue. And I would wake up the next morning and it was gone. It was like, I knew I saved it, but it wasn't saved. Or the file would be corrupted or my computer would crash and everything would be saved except what I wrote. And so this went on for like two and a half years until finally I said, hold on, what has gone on here? And it was as if I called the characters that I made up onto a Zoom call. Yeah. And one by one, I called them in front of me and I said, what are you doing? Why won't you let this book be written? And what they said to me is, we don't want to say what you're writing for us to say. It isn't the way we would say it. It's not the message we want to give. We want you to listen to what we're telling you and say it the way we want to say it. And I said, with all due respect, guys, like this is my book. You're my character. I'm, I've created you. Like don't, I should be able to tell you what I want. To, I should be able to say through you what I want to say. They said, great, keep doing it. It'll take you another five years to do. If you do what we're asking you to do, it'll be done in 30 days. I said, you win. Just tell me what you want. I'm, I, I'm, I'm pulling my hair out here. 30 days later, the book was done. And what happened is I realized through that that everything in life is speaking to us. Even characters that I made up start to create, we, we, we breathe life into something. And once it has life, it has life and it can talk to us. It can tell us something. The environment we live in is talking to us. Our businesses are talking to us. Our families are talking to us. Our bodies are talking to us. Everything is talking to us. And so when I finished the book, the book itself said to me, we want you to go out and speak to the people that nobody speaks to and listen to the people that no one listens to. Just like Mo did in the book, he went and spoke to the common ordinary people. And he listened to them. And we want you to get out there and do that. And I thought, I'm not the one to do that. I'm not like a very good listener. I'm a better talker. (laughs) (laughs) I talk a lot. I don't listen very well. And they said, that's exactly why we want you to do it. We want you to learn how to listen. Because it'll be good for you to learn how to listen. And we want you to, when you speak to people, speak to people and occupy their minds. But listen with your heart and your soul to what their heart and soul is saying. And, 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 and don't talk about it. Just do it. Just respond to their heart. Just love them, adore them, give them what they need. Listen to what their soul wants. And in the book, there's a character called the waitress. And, the, and she's, she's a waitress in this restaurant that's so busy that that happens. And Mo asks her, why is this restaurant so busy? And she says, People come here and order and our food is really good. But we don't only give people what they ask for. We give people what they need. Mm. And if you think about, do we do that in life? Do we even know what people are asking for, let alone what they need? And so the drive for me to do this show, the drive for me to listen to, to others is, is because I wrote the book that I most needed to hear, to read. Yeah. And it, it's, it was teaching me, like I just, I believe music's the same way. I believe the Beatles learned 
from their music, something they didn't even know existed. And by coming together with each other, they created songs that, I mean, they created good songs on their own, but their, their artistry was together. And I believe we're meant to do this world together. I, I think you're right. And a couple of th- stories come to mind when you're, you were talking um, one, and we're going to get to the Mary question before we get done, but um, the, the, the writer Isaac Asimov is, was doing a lecture and he said, um, he, he was explaining a story and a reader, you know, someone in the audience raised their hand and said, Dr. Asimov, I, you have the story wrong. That isn't what it means. And supposedly Isaac said, well, I'm the writer. I know what it means. And he's telling this in an autobiography and they said, well, what makes you think just because you're the writer, you know what the story means. And he started thinking and he ended up saying, you're right. I, I don't know. I know what I meant it to be, but that doesn't mean once I put it out there, it finds its own path. Um, the other thing that as you were telling the story about your characters, um, there is a writer, um, a guy named Lawrence Block who writes wonderful mysteries and he was at a book signing and I, I, in one of the end of the books, um, a character named Elaine is the girlfriend of Matt Scudder, who's the lead character. And, and as the audience, we know that Matt is having an affair on Elaine and, um, and she in the book kind of looks at him and says, you know, Matt, I love you. And I know you love me and you love me in every way I want you to love me. And, and the amount of love you give me is more than I could have ever wanted. And so I said, so I think she knows he's having an affair. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Lawrence Block looked at me and he said, I think she does too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I, I love that idea yeah, that yeah. he, as the writer, wasn't sure about the character. He says, yeah. I, I, he says, or he says, maybe she knows because she knows men. She was a former prostitute that there may be something he wasn't doing and she didn't care. And, yeah. and I love that idea, right? That sometimes, and whether you're an a, a artist painting, a writer telling a story, or a musician writing a song, sometimes the words and music and the art comes through you and totally. you, you know, and you're, I've, I've done a lot of, I'm fascinated by reading stories of other writers and like J. Michael Stravinsky, the guy who wrote Babylon 5 and all these other stories, we'll talk about the characters were in his head. They were in his voice. And if he was writing this, they would argue with him, similar to what you, like, yeah. no, that isn't what, that isn't what we need to say. And what's really interesting is just before this call, I finished up the fourth week of a four-week book club. Okay. Of people created a book club on the mosaic. Okay. And they created, they, they did it on their own. They created the questions and the things, and they checked with me to make sure it was okay. And taking, in partaking in the book club and being a member of the book club on the mosaic, 
I had revelation after revelation after revelation about the book that I wrote that I didn't even see. <laughs> yes. And how exciting is that, that we, that just because we create it doesn't mean we know it. We we're, yes. we we create what we need the most learn. And the more we delve into it, the more we go, I always say in the mosaic, it's the words will tell you a nice story, but the space between the words tells you incredible stories. If you could only listen to the space between the words and in that space between the words, everything is up and up for grabs. That is awesome. That is awesome. So I always like to ask this question, Danny, what have I asked? What haven't I asked you that I should have? Um, we are doing a very particular, you didn't ask me enough about Springsteen or tell me enough about Springsteen. So I, I, I love, you know, I missed his, I missed his music because I was in monasteries during yes. the time he was writing. So I have less of a connection to him. Now, how did you end up getting a monastery? <laughs> um, so, you, you know, I spoke of the fact that my mom and died, yeah. dad passed away. And what I realized only in writing the mosaic that in the mosaic, I asked the adults where my parents went and they tell Mo, the main character, they went to this place called heaven. Right. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven and the opportunities that I had in my life, I realized were all the search for that heaven. Okay. I was offered a billion to run the, to run a billion dollar company but it wasn't my heaven. So I walked away from it. Right. Right. I was offered an opportunity to be the mentor in organizational psychology and to work with my mentor and be his prodigy. And he was going to hand it over to me. This whole, this whole new creation of bringing psychology to businesses rather than just to couches for, for people. Yes. And, and that wasn't my heaven. I walked away from it. I went to, I hitchhiked around the, the world for, for three years but that wasn't my heaven either. I had, a, I had to find something more than that. I was in a rabbinical school for five years and left one day before I was ordained because that wasn't my heaven either. And then I thought, you know what? It would be so cool. I, I opened up a restaurant and a bookstore in San Francisco together. And, and I thought this would be cool just to have a cool place to live and a cool, big, cool businesses. That wasn't my heaven either. And so I joined a monastery and I thought, if I can't find heaven here, I don't know where I'll find it. And I sat, I was in that monastery for 10 years. Mm. And I sat several, many days, I sat in meditation for 10, 12, 15, 18 hours a day. And, but what I realized is when I was outside of the walls of that monastery, I couldn't find my, I couldn't find that heaven. So in the walls, I was safe. Outside of the walls, I wasn't. And I said, this can't be heaven. And what I realized through writing the mosaic, my heaven was, was actually that moment in time where we look at something that we've always looked at it and we see it suddenly different. It's that moment where perspective changes, where something changes and we see what we've always seen entirely different. And for me, that was the heaven that I was looking for. And in that heaven, if you read the book, you'll, I don't want to ruin the end of it, but there's a, there's a really deep experience at the end of the book where he realizes he just 
what he saw was not what is. The underlying theme of the mosaic is nothing is as it seems. Do you think you have found your heaven now? Yes. Yes. That's good. Yeah, I feel, I feel, um, and the heaven I found is very much like the story you told of the writer who wrote the book and didn't know what his character was going to say. Yeah. Because the heaven I found is a change of perspective and I'm just waiting for the change of perspective to come again. Because as soon as we get comfortable, we're in a safe zone. So one of the things there, I have, I have gone through my share of struggles like many people. Um, and there's a song that Bruce, uh, most people do not know. I mean, Bruce Springsteen fans know it, but the casual fan doesn't, um, you know, in, in a, in, you know, 84, he had born in the USA, which is a massive hit. Then he did a ton of love. And then, he kind of broke the band up and then kind of moved to California, did some stuff and ended up putting out two albums in the middle of the nineties that were not very well received. They weren't with the Eastry band. They're okay, but there's a song called better days, which if I have to pick um, my two favorite Springsteen songs, it's land of hope and dreams and better days. And I'm going to read you the lyrics. Love it. it says when my soul Checked out missing as I sat listening to the hours and minutes ticking away. Yeah, just sitting around waiting for my life to begin while it was all just slipping away. Hmm. I'm tired of waiting for tomorrow to come or that train to come roaring round the bend. I've got a new set of clothes, a pretty red rose, and a woman I can call my friend. These are better days, baby. Yeah, they're better days shining through. These are better days, baby. Better days with a girl like you. And to me, and the song goes on, but the story to me, and when I heard you discussing your search for heaven, is to me the song means that you you can go searching for a happy life, but the reality is if you enjoy the journey, that's what will make a happy life. Beautiful. That it, too many people, well, when I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. When oh. I find my perfect mate, then I'll be happy. When the kids are out of diapers, then I can relax and enjoy life. When I get out of college, whatever, versus enjoying the journey. Enjoy that while your children are in diapers and not sleeping at night and yes, it's frustrating, but they will never be that age again. Um, you know, enjoy the, the struggles of learning a new business and getting to go and, and be happy in what you're learning. And so, um, when I have to do a business talk, um, I tend to quote that and then tell that to people that I'm, you know, either just starting a business or being like, I believe that it's the journey that is what makes us to our heaven or yes. our better days. And so um, listening to that story that made me think of that. I love that. Uh, I have a character in the mosaic called the traveler. Yeah. And, and the traveler 
hears that Mo is looking for heaven and she says, I can help you find it because I'm a traveler. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And she walks with him and he notices she's walking step by step right by beside him. And so he, he sort of wants to mess with her a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so he starts to run. But as soon as he starts to run, she's running right beside him, step by step. And he goes, okay, big, big shot. You think you can do whatever I do? I'm going to stop dead in my tracks here. And she stops dead in her tracks. And he says, how do you do that? How, did you, how do you pick that up? And she says, Mo, one of the things you'll learn through your life is that everything in life has three steps to it. What do you think those three steps are? Past, present, future? Pretty close. I mean, that's, that's one of the best answers I've heard. Okay. And, and, and you could stretch it to be what the answer that she gave was. Okay. Most people get really philosophical. They say love and courage and hope. Yeah. You know, and all. She said everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So past, present, and future is pretty close. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she and she said to him, "Your dif- the difficulty with you, Mo, is you're you're great at beginning stuff and you're great at ending stuff, but you're missing the whole journey, which is the middle. It's the dash, you know. It's the dash on the tombstone of yes. all all the things that happened between the time you were born and the time you died. The time, the beginning of something in the middle and the end of something. It's called the middle." Yes. And that's where all of life happens, all those experiences, all the pains, all the joys, all the, all the fresh times that ever happened, happened within that middle. And, and Mo wasn't experiencing that. I wasn't experiencing that. You know, you, you keep bringing up imagery that keeps bringing me to, to Bruce. Um, I love it. Yeah. One, it, he has a song called If I Should Fall Behind. And he's, it, it is... Um, he wrote for Patty, his wife, and it says, we swore we'd travel darling side by side. We'd help each other stay in stride, but each other's steps fall so differently, but I'll wait for you. If I should fall behind, wait for me. Now everyone dreams of love lasting and true. Oh, but you and I know what this world can do. So let's make our steps clear that the other may see I'll wait for you. And if I should off behind, wait for me. Love it. Love it. How beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, no. And it's like you talk about the traveler, right? That, um, and, and there is the beauty to that, that, um, you know, there, I, there's, there's a wonderful scene, Neil Gaiman, who is a writer, um, had a, character death which was a young woman and there is a scene in this comic book he wrote that this baby um dies Mm -hmm. and the baby looks at death and says is that all it is and death says you get the same as everyone else a lifetime yeah and we we get a lifetime now how long that is how short that is We don't know, but the idea of filling it with good music, good friends, and being kind to each other. I I, I think that's 
one of the things that I liked about talking to you, I like about your thoughts of conversations is um, finding a way to be kind to each other, a way to understand each other and to just be, there's, there's, this sounds cliche, but it's true. There is just not enough love and understanding in the world. And, and it starts with each of us doing our little part. Yeah. I, as you were talking Springsteen, probably my favorite Springsteen song is I'm on fire. Yeah. And it uh, just goes with the raw emotion of it, you know, of, of, is he good to you? And I, and so it feels like someone took a knife through the middle of my heart. Yeah. You know, and, and that sense of passion, that sense of, of longing, that sense. And I love what I love about Springsteen to really wrap me up in my Springsteen knowledge is how raw and real he touches the emotions of people. Yes. And he, and he could be a spokesperson for the mosaic. The mosaic could be a spokesperson for Springsteen. I really do. I, 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 I look forward to reading the book. I great deal. I, I thought that when we were originally, we were on, you were kind enough to have me on your show and I've been thinking about it now, now listening to you and talking to you, I definitely want to read this because it sounds like something that I need to read. So and yeah, I look forward to it. it. I think you'll like it according it, just because of, of the little bit I know. Um, you know, I'm on fire is the, is the, is the flower girl. She's the, she's passion. Yeah. But I, I, I love that you had me on here I, and I so appreciate it. I do. All right. Before I get to let you go. Um, so let me give you the Mary question. So for those okay. of you who may not have heard the show before, uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. Um, and every year his seniors, he takes two days and they break apart the Springsteen song Thunder Road as a poem. They read through the lyrics. He discusses the imagery, uh, the different words and what kind of uh, metaphors they stand for. And um, he discusses it similar to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and compares it to other poems. And at the end of the second day, he looks at his class and says, okay, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Yeah. So Danny, that's your question. Does Danny get, Danny, does uh, Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Uh, I say undoubtedly, and I'll tell you why. Because I know that, I know the dilemma that she was under. Um, and there is something that happens when you feel a love that is the strongest feeling you've ever felt. And it doesn't matter that it's not legal. It doesn't matter that it's not right. It doesn't matter that you're spoken for. It doesn't matter that you shouldn't. The power of love is so great. And I know this, unfortunately, from personal experience. I was a main advocate against affairs. I, was, I, would, I would talk against them. I couldn't understand why anybody could have. And I met a woman years and years ago who she passed me by on the street and walked into the corner store. But as she passed me by, she walked through me, not by me. And some of her DNA was left inside my body and some of my DNA was left inside of hers. And she stopped 
because she felt it and I stopped and I felt it. And I said, I'm married, just keep walking. There's no chance anything's gonna happen here. I think the biggest problem we have is a, as a world is when our core values come face to face with each other and are in opposition to each other. I had a core value of integrity and I had a core value of wanting to be loved. What I can tell you from my own experience, even with integrity being the most, that I defined myself by the fact that I was a man of integrity. Yes. But given the fire of that passion, what's the song that I said that I like to Springsteen? I'm on fire. Yes. Right? I mean, I'm on fire. Like, I'm just, I can't contain it. And that passion and that fire and it, some would say it's lust. I don't think it's lust. And this, and, and the, there is lust in it, but there's also this sense of just feeling deeply loved and and feeling in feeling a love for a person that you never felt before. Um, I don't think anybody has a chance of going against that. I almost think it's wrong to ask somebody to go against it. I th- it ruined my life for a lot of years because um, it took on a lot of ramifications. Yeah. I told my wife about it 10 months later, she had stage four breast cancer. I, I told the woman that I was, had the affair with, there's no way I'm gonna, I can leave my wife. She sued me and she sued the community was, I was a part of. Mm. I mean, it, it, it was catastrophic for us. Wow. And there was nothing else I could have done. I guess I could have tried and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to try and do this the right way. I'm going to break it off with my wife. But I was in love with my wife, but not that love. And I, I fought it for six months. I fought it for eight months, six or eight months. We fought it. We just said, this can't happen. It won't happen. It won't happen. I, I moved away. I didn't talk to her. She went away. I, we didn't, you know, we yeah. spent, it doesn't matter. When it's that strong, I just don't think there's any chance of Mary not getting in that car. And she needs to get in the car because what she has where she is is dead. I love this answer. Uh, that, And I am not surprised that you would share so much of yourself in telling the answers. Yeah. So, Danny, if someone wants to reach out to you, if they want to hear some of uh, more stories, your great conversations with strangers, your mosaic project, how can they? All of my information is on two websites, one danielbrucelevin.com and the other is themosaiconline.com. I, if I haven't sent those to you already, I will send them to you. Yes, you and have, and I will include them in the, the show notes. The notes. Yeah. The Mosaic is available on Amazon. It's going to be available also um, on, on Audible now in the next, in the next, I mean, Audible has it. We're just waiting for them to post it. Awesome. And I also, and I also saw now that uh, Amazon is also, posting the mosaic podcast so if you want to oh, hear nice. the mosaic podcast you can either go to the mosaic podcast you can go to itunes or you can go to apple to i mean to amazon to to see the mosaic podcast as well um all my social media links are on my website so you just go on the websites and look at social media links and they're all there if people feel like they haven't felt heard reach out to me 
let's have a conversation. Because here's what I believe. We don't need to be heard the rest of our life. Do I have time to say one last story? Or two? Always. Okay. I've had the opportunity through my life to be with a lot of different people. I've been with some of the richest people in the world, not in workshops with them, but at their homes. I sat at their dining room table. I've met their parents over dinner. I've played on the floor with their kids in their living rooms. I've also had the opportunity to sit on street corners with the poorest of the poor. And I think what I said already on the show, I, I get senile after talking so much, is that everybody wants the same thing. Love and accepted, listened to and heard, and acknowledged and validated. But amongst all the people that I met, there was one man that moved me beyond most. I met him on a street corner in San Diego. He was a homeless guy by the name of Corey. And when I walked up to Corey, he wanted nothing to do with me. He just said, you know, um, this is my corner, please go away. Like, go away, please. I said, I just want to sit with you and, and I want to hear your story. He said, I'm not interested. I don't want to talk. If I, don't, if I talk to you, I'm not going to make money. I said, how much will you make in a half an hour? He said, I make $5 every half hour. I make $10 an hour. So I, I, I can't afford to lose that. I'm taking care of some people. So I went into my wallet. I gave him $50. I said, okay, I've got a little bit of time, but keep this for the half an hour. Keep your hat out there. You're going to make that $5 still. I just want to know, you sit here and you watch these people pass you by. What would you say to them if you had a chance to just slow them down and have them listen to you? What would you tell them? And he said, it's really interesting you asked me that because you've told me a lot of stories in this time that you're talking to me. Let me tell you a story. I said, with pleasure. He said, about three months ago, I had made a decision that I wasn't going to do this anymore. I hate being homeless. I feel like a waste. I feel, I feel embarrassed by it. I feel um, unhappy by it. And so I hate being homeless. I hate the fact that I have, I have no home and no place for myself. But then on this one particular day, I mean, every day is not nice to be homeless. People beat you up. People spit at you. People throw stuff at you. People steal your money. They do all sorts of things. But on this particular day, I was sleeping and the guy urinated on me. And then a few minutes later, I woke up and some guy came by and threw a bag of human defecation at me. And so my clothes stunk and, you know, I was, I was just like, there was nothing, nothing here. And I thought, like, I'm not doing anything for myself. I hate the life. People around me hate me being here. They treat me worse than an animal. They treat me like a thing. I'm just going to go around the corner tonight when it gets dark and I'm going to take my life. Now, two minutes after I heard that, I thought that's thought. This man came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, how you doing, brother? And he said, I'm not doing good. You can tell I stink and I smell and I'm not, I'm not doing good. Sir, you're, the best thing you can do is just leave me alone. And the man said, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to leave you alone. I'm sitting down here next to you. And he told me this man was in a beautiful three-piece suit. I was covered with defecation and piss. And my clothes were ragged and torn. And he's holding me and hugging me. And he said, tell me what's going on. And he said, I just cried tears and tears and tears into his shoulder. 
And he just held me. He didn't try and change me. He didn't try to help me. He didn't try and convert me. He didn't try and do anything. And, and he said, Danny, it only took 10 minutes. After 10 minutes of crying and telling him of the pains that I had, I realized I couldn't kill myself anymore. This important man in a three-piece suit sat down next to me, an, an unimportant person who was about to take his life. His life was meaningless. He was about to kill himself and, and cared about, about me. He said, I've tried to find that man so many times. I've sat here hoping he would come by. He's never come by. I wish I could tell him he saved my life that day because I didn't kill myself. Well, you know, they have a saying called the butterfly effect. Corey doesn't know this, but his story touched me so much that on every talk that I give, on every conference that I go to, on every podcast that I'm on, on every show that I'm, I'm part of, in every boardroom that I go into and I, and I present something, I tell Corey's story. Corey doesn't know this, but millions of people have heard his story now and probably hundreds of thousands of people are doing what he would, he would ask those people to have done. Because what he wanted those people to do is, he said, look what 10 minutes out of the course of a lifetime can do for a person. Go up to someone you don't know and just ask them how they're doing. You might be amazed what you hear. You might be amazed what it does for, to brighten up another person's day. And so when Corey told me that story, I decided that was going to be the story around my revolution of listening that I'm gonna create a revolution of listening where millions and millions of people will take 10 minutes out of the course of their lifetime and listen to another person tell a story to them, tell them how they're doing. And who knows if we did that for each other, what this world might look like. How might this world change if we cared enough about a stranger? And we might even like it so much we actually do it with our son or our daughter or the people that we work with in our office building, or the people, person that makes our coffee for us, or the person that drives us to work, or the person that collects our garbage. Who knows what we might do when we see the effects of what our, our ability to listen to another human being does to another person. Absolutely. I invite everybody to listen, listening to do that. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate that a lot. Big love. That's a lovely way to end. Um, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. We did a little bit of everything. We had some fun. We shared some fun stories and I think we, we sent out a good message and that's, that's always a good time. Um, you are welcome anytime. Um, I certainly appreciate it and I'm looking forward to the book and, uh, who knows after I read it, we might have you back on and we'll talk about it. I would love that. In the meantime, I'm going to listen to I'm going to listen to Springsteen. I like I got to hear more of this guy. All right, I'm good. I will. Um, I actually have a list of. Um, I tell you what, we I've done in the past is I've sent a link to ten different songs. Okay. And then um, I then I have it's then I have the person come back on and discuss the ten songs. Love it. I'd be happy to so, do that. All right, that's good. Listeners, you please please take care of yourself. Remember to social distance. Remember to wash your hands. Uh, wear an effing mask. Take care of yourself because it's, it's, a, it's a scary time and we all need a little kindness. But for now, be safe, be well, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. 
This podcast would not be possible without the support of my wonderful patrons. I want to say thank you to Mary Thomas, Terry Smith, Dale Hosek, Elizabeth Bronson, Stephen Malio, Anna Lynn, Steve Rogers, Hollick McMillian, and Chris Bloom. All of you are wonderful people. I appreciate you so much, and thank you for supporting the podcast. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, that listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. And there we go, my friend. That's Thank the podcast. you so much. My God. Did you I have a good time? Much. I love it. I love you. I love and I got I'm gonna seriously listen to Springsteen now because I love I have a new respect for him. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.